0: You've just found your survival guide for the new reality of business. From technical advances to motivation and leadership, workplace changes are happening all around us. How can CEOs, leaders, and managers accelerate talent development, reshape culture, and succeed with purpose? By seeing what's coming and making the personal and organizational choices to do better. Welcome to the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett.
1: Hi. I'm Linda Sharkey, and uh, welcome to Future Proof Workplace. I'm very excited to have a, another show today, and I have uh, our partner, Eric, Spence, uh, Eric Spencer, with us today. And uh, Morag, where is Morag today? She's out and about giving a speech on Future Proof Workplace somewhere. Exciting, right, Eric? She,
2: she is. Well, I don't know how exciting it is. She's in New Jersey today, so. Oh. She, <laughs> She is working with a with the client up there in, in, an, in an industrial uh, industry, giving a, a talk on future proof.
1: Oh, great! But well, I like the ones where I go to Ecuador and uh, uh, Vienna and, and <laughs> but New Jersey's fun. New Jersey can be fun. New Jersey can, it can. be. Fun. Well, uh, you know, we we our our show is really about the various aspects of a future-proof workplace, and what we're saying are things that, based on our research, that people need to focus in on in order to be uh, effective. and And one of them is really looking at uh, the whole underpinnings of the way we educate people, the way we develop and train people, and basically our whole human resource processes. And, uh, you know, it's become clear that what was effective in the 20th century is really not going to be uh, effective in the 21st century for for many reasons. A good friend of mine, Elliot Massey, uh, you know, who's uh, the father of uh, online learning, uh, says, you know, people don't have to memorize things anymore. Uh, You know, jobs where 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 people where things were a part of memory memorization, it's just not effective. And schools can't operate that that way anymore. And you know, (laughs) we're seeing places like Walmart recognizing that having an agile and learning environment, they've got to start bringing some uh, education into the workplace. In a serious way. So they've started this academy and they actually graduate people and they're actually teaching them soft skills as well as, you know, some business skills. But, you know, how do they engage others? How do they interact with each other? How do they build relationships? All very important. And, you know, online learning is now getting to a level of sophistication that we never had before. I remember when it was awful back in the the 90s. And there's a new... Resurgence, Eric. I know you're seeing it too. Of you know, bringing trades back into schools and bringing uh, business uh, partnerships back into schools, where businesses are coming in and and uh, helping to educate employees for the jobs that they have today and for jobs that they don't even know that they're going to have tomorrow. So it's a fascinating subject,
2: right. don't you think? It really is. It really is. And this, this notion of lifelong learning, even though we don't have to memorize things anymore, I still have a beef with my with my fifth grade teacher, who told me I was never going to be able to carry a calculator around with me everywhere I went, <laughs> because I do. <laughs> yes, yeah, um, you do. But this notion of lifelong learning is, is 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 a thing, and it's it's a thing that that's changing. Um, to your point, right? With with the resurgence of tr- trades and and with the the way learning is incorporated digitally into our life, um, Morag walks around now with an app on her phone called Duolingo, and she's trying to teach herself Spanish in between Uh, meetings.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's because we had that big project together down in uh, Mexico where we were running around trying to uh, learn Spanish in between. But, you know, it's funny because I learned a lot from her through that app, and so now I'm speaking in uh, Ecuador on Future Proof Workplace and and Diversity, and it's um, fascinating because uh, people don't speak English as much uh, as they do in Mexico and other places down in Ecuador. And so I was able to translate stuff. It was very cool, very cool. But we have a guest with us today. And uh, why do. don't you introduce him?
2: Sure, so joining us today is Marcus Lewis. Marcus is the CTO with Unicon. And they do uh, they have big involvement in learning systems architecture for, for different types of clients. Um, Marcus has been in this game for about 25 years, delivering SaaS platforms and services supporting millions of customers. This majority of his experience is in the education, higher ed, K 12 space, um, but they also play in other markets as well. He began life as a software engineer and he's architected and built SaaS systems that deliver millions of assessments and learning systems or learning experiences, rather, per month. They serve millions of students per day. As a technology He's got a broad-ranging skill set. He's also had responsibilities for building systems architecture. He's run IT organizations. He's been the project manager guy, and (laughs) he's been the nemesis to all developers everywhere, the quality guy. So, Marcus.
1: (laughs) I love quality. I love that field, yeah.
2: Yeah.
3: Thanks for the intro, Eric,
2: appreciate
3: it. uh, Yeah, tell us a little bit about you and and what Unicon does. Sure, Uh, so as a company, um, we help build, integrate, and run solutions that that help people learn. You know, as we start to talk about, uh, you know, this this lifelong learning stuff, um, how does that really, uh, you know, manifest itself in digital learning experiences? Uh, trying to measure and understand uh, the degree of learning or competency that somebody has around a given skill skill set, um, and then also some of the things that we, as a company, help folks, uh, our clients with, is you know dealing with the, um, you know, administrivia. If you will, of of delivering and running um, education-related enterprises, um, and so that ran, runs the whole gamut of building uh, digital learning applications for our ed tech and our publisher clients, uh, building analytics solutions that help people understand what's going on in those contexts, uh, say identifying a student that might be at risk in some way, um, and then trying to wire all that technology together um, to help it it be effective, and then then of course that all runs on infrastructure. So oftentimes we run that. Um, you know, as you alluded to, you know, my own background. Uh, I am on the exec team at Unicon, and um, you know, I help as the company uh, understand what's going on in the education landscape and where our services need to be adapting, you know, to to meet those needs. Um, and as a services company, um, I love that you mentioned the soft skill side of things. Uh, you know, as a, a professional services company, um, our folks have to be expert at the that soft side. Uh, of things as well, and not just the so-called hard skills or the you know the technology and the the development and systems enge- engineering and whatnot. Um, and as, well, as you mentioned, is- I've I've been doing this for you know 20 plus years, I guess at this point.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I i want to on that soft skills piece. I mean, it's it's fascinating because it was poo pooed a lot in the 20th century and the end of the 20th century. Ah, people really don't need that. You know, it's technical capability, and in today's world. The technical area is changing so quickly that nobody can be up to speed uh, fully on 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 what's going on. And it's the soft skills that are becoming increasingly more important, the ability to collaborate, the ability to learn, the ability to listen, the ability to be open to new ideas. Uh, the, debil- the ability to reach out is uh, is essential. And it's also harder to teach. Uh, Marcus, what what are you finding there? Uh, no,
3: you're, you're you're absolutely right, and in fact, um, we're seeing both some of our clients and then their clients who are universities, uh, K twelve uh, school districts, and systems. We're starting to talk about those twenty first century skills as a body of knowledge that we need to to develop and pass along, um, and we're seeing those codified in learning objectives that are being, you know, written into uh, the curriculum, particular courses, whether, again, it's, you know, whether it's K-12 or whether it's in higher ed. Um, And we see curriculum elements introduced uh, specifically to address these 21st century skills. Things like you mentioned, um, collaboration, communication, that always comes to the top of the list. So it's more group-oriented work rather than, you know, go off, uh, write some paper and, and throw it over the wall back to the, the teacher or the professor. Um, it's a group working together, bringing cross-disciplinary skills and information um, to, uh, to solve a, a given problem or demonstrate you know mastery of a given topic. Um, and then critical thinking and problem solving, how do I integrate knowledge and skills from across multiple disciplines, um, develop a team orientation as as in the team needs to be successful in accomplishing a given piece of work versus you know it's all about me and, and my individual contributions. Um, so seeing that that stuff actually get manifest in um, specific desired outcomes in teaching is, uh, is really starting to come to the forefront.
1: Fascinating. So,
2: Marcus, how are you seeing how are you seeing technology impact the uh, the sector as a whole, and but more specifically, the classroom experience?
3: What's happening there? Sure, sure. Um, it, you know, to some degrees, it's uh, you know, and around that collaboration thing, as an example. Um, you know, I I do see more group work. I see students working in a collaboration space that's a, a digital tool, they're writing together, they're putting, um, say, a, a group presentation together, they're all in there working on that same document or presentation um, at the same time. I, as an example, one of my kids uh, was was working on a, a shared presentation that they were gonna put together as a group. And I'm I'm watching along because they, they asked me for some in, input and I'm I'm marking up sections with comments and you know, a kid, another kid, I I don't know where the kid is. They're all working from their um, from their homes. It's you know, is after school and they're sure. replying to to feedback. They're checking off, say, Oh, that's a great idea, and bam, I see this thing uh, changing right in front of me as they're all working together. The kids are jazzed up and excited about um you know, the feedback they're getting from each other and from others, the teachers in there, you know, she, she pops in and out. Um, so that's one way. Uh, some really advanced stuff that we see and have, have actually been fortunate to be involved in is building simulation environments where, uh, you know, and say in some higher order classes in in higher ed where students are starting to transition from kind of their core – Um, foundational courses into courses where they have to apply skills and creating simulation environments that, that present students with Maybe poorly constrained problems or challenges that they have to deal with. They have maybe a, a visually rich simulation they have to interact with, and they have to choose and integrate their collective knowledge to uh, to deal with the the challenge that this particular scenario or simulation presents. Um One solution that we worked on was for for kids that were beginning to move into clinical practice um, in in nursing. And uh, we had mm-hmm. a fairly formalized study. We had a you know control group and and this new group, and by presenting the the nursing students going into clinical practice with these challenging scenarios of I've got a patient that's clearly in pain and uncomfortable, um, and I've got to get through uh, you know my basic measurements to then start figuring out how I'm going to deal with what this person's suffering from. I need to connect with them as an individual. Um, that those simulations are very compelling the data we got out of that um, said that the students that had experienced those rich simulation environments were much better prepared to go into their clinical experiences. Um, And yeah, that was a very rewarding outcome for us. Yeah, not only helping kids learn and achieve a career goal, but also at the same time deliver better healthcare. Wow. That was like a (laughs) win-win. Yeah. Right. Are are you noticing
2: different uh, acceptances or different, um, you know, different levels of integration of of technology in the K-12 space versus higher ed? Are you, are you able to have more impact in one space or the other?
3: Oh boy. You know, um, I, I, there, there's a famous quote that says, the future's already here. It's just unevenly distributed. Um, (laughs) and I I think that, I think that's a Burroughs quote, if I remember right. Um, I think we have it in our book actually. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I I think we see some, some in both, uh, in, I I think in K 12, we're getting past the idea that the so-called one-on-one technology initiative where every kid in the classroom has an iPad uh, or a tablet or a a laptop and Hey, we're, we're now technology enabled and we're going to get these great outcomes. Um, the, the, the data's in and that ain't enough.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> um,
3: so, again, thankfully, I think we're, we're getting past that and starting to understand that even if you bring in a really rich digital learning solution that provides, you know, all kind of scaffolded support for, for the learner, worked examples, different modalities of learning that you have to integrate it in with the, the teacher is such a critical element of those technology uh, initiatives being successful. Um, you know, there's data out there that suggests that in, in the, here in the United States, we spend more on technology and more per student in the classroom than any other country. Um, and we still don't get the results that, that, uh, that other countries achieve. Um, so it's more than just, uh, you know, throwing digital devices into the classroom. Um, but there are certainly practice areas that we see uh, are highly successful um introducing personalized learning where kids are allowed to move at their own pace, versus this idea of linear learning, where everybody kind of marches along at the same mm-hmm. uh, at the same level. Um, we see that in both k twelve and higher ed. Um, one interesting thing that's worked very well is the idea of a flipped classroom where you've got um, you replace that lecture uh, sage on the stage experience with, well, go watch the video offline and then we're going to use our classroom time or lecture hall time for actually working problems, open and deeper huh. discussion. Um, and you kind of recover that that opportunity to engage um, the the educators with the students uh, on a much deeper level. Um, and there's some data out there that suggests when done right that those flipped classroom experiences are um, are really good. And we see that in both K-12 and higher ed.
1: Yeah, I, I love that actually, but you know, it just seems to me, um, and, and you probably have a, obviously have a lot more experience with this because I teach executives. You know, and executives pretty much if they have a problem, they've got the money, and they'll they'll put the money in into the into uh, the education of their people and or the technology that they need. But I have two. I actually have a twofold question for you. Mm-hmm. The school systems, you know, are are strapped, and everywhere I go, I know a lot of teachers. Um, you know, they just don't seem to have the resources for some of this. You know, the the, the better technology. Uh, yes, in the in the wealthier communities they do, but the average uh, school they don't. So that's that's one question. How do you how do you get access for these kids to the technology that they must have in order to be effective? And then the second question I have is that it seems to me that. Everything that you're talking about is going to require a rethinking and a reeducation of teachers and how teachers engage with and how they see their role. And if they still see their role as imparting information or as facilitating learning and, and how is training and developing teachers going to change? Now, those are two big concepts, but
3: wow. I'm sure you have great <laughs> answers for them, Marcus. Uh, I don't know. On, on the first one, the you know, the funding side of things. Um, you know that that is a challenge, particularly in the United States, where we have such disparity across, um, uh, you know, our school districts, how we how we pay for them. Um, you know, the, the the current and very public debate about you know uh, charter schools versus versus public schools. Um, I, I hate to take a pass on that one, but I almost wonder if if the there isn't so much uniqueness in each one of those challenges, whether that's at a district level or a state level. Um, boy, that, that might be uh, an ocean. I'm not ready to boil. <laughs>
1: yeah. But what
3: do you um, do with the kids
1: if you're, if you're getting, you know, if you're using technology resources and they, you know, they don't have, I guess, uh, they, they don't have access to that when they don't when they go home? I mean, they may not have an iPad or, I mean, are you requiring that for schools these days or? or in what? Yeah, in some cases,
3: um, certainly some districts that I'm familiar with in K-12 that do have a one-to-one initiative or a policy um, that, uh, you know, if the family can't, it's not unlike free and reduced lunch, uh, but, you know, less federally funded. Um, if the student doesn't have access to those materials at home, whether it's a device, whether it's um, internet connectivity, the district is making sure, in one way or another, that those resources are available. In some cases, it's a loaner program; um, uh, in other cases, um, it's an outright—you uh, know—you get this, uh, you get this device for um, the duration of, say, your high school career. Uh, so, districts are addressing, starting to address, I think, that that affordability and access problem. Um, I do think it is happening at a at a more district level than than more broadly at the state or um, uh, federal federal level, but there may be some state initiatives that I'm not yeah. familiar with. And there's Maybe. certainly yeah, there's certainly um, uh, federal funding um, and in other cases state funding to ensure that the the schools and districts themselves had have, have adequate technology in terms of. You know, their internet pipes and all the infrastructure that's needed to to make that stuff available in the classroom, too. So there's certainly things going on there to, to address the accessibility. Yeah, Linda, you had another question.
1: Well, I did. And you know what? We're going to answer it when we come back from great uh, break, Marcus. And it really is about how we develop teachers for this new environment of learning. And I'm sure you've got some great insights around that. So stay with us. You know, yeah. how school systems and, and learning and uh, is changing and how we're building more collaborative environments and uh, agile thinking and creativity into our education. At frankly, at all levels, and and including in uh, in how we're dealing with uh, corporate education. So, uh, stay with us. We'll be back very shortly. We're talking to Marcus Lewis, CTO of Unicorn Inc.
0: Ever wondered if your career will last? Will your job be around in ten years, five years, or even tomorrow? The Future-Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett gives you practical tips and tools that are not only fact-based and proven to make you a better leader, but will also ensure that both your organization and career are future-proof. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you future-proof your career. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com.
1: Back, uh, Marcus. We're talking to Marcus Lewis, currently CTO uh, with Unif- Unicorn, uh, an IT uh, organization, but deals mostly in the education field uh, and U.S. and global markets. So, Marcus, we were talking about all these changes that are going on in education. And Morag and I, in our book, we spend a lot of time talking about how you know education has got to change and mm-hmm. really thinking about nano degrees and the fact that uh, you know the lecture series of a a four-year college degree just may not be practical and it's too expensive um and and it may not be practical for for future and my question for you was is how are we developing teachers so that they can uh adapt to this new learning environment
3: Sure. Great question. And you know, I'd love to also kind of take a tangent in a minute, uh, you know, on that whole kind of micro-credential um, topic, because I think, you know, as we, we think about uh, the workplace and future that, that's going to be an important topic as well. Um, so, you know, teacher professional development, uh, both in higher ed and K-12, are, you know, some real challenges. And in, in fact, in higher ed, the idea of um, developing instructional skills and strength as as a part of the you know the practice, if you will, of higher education is is candidly a very new topic. We're seeing some organizations emerge um, that are really focused on developing the the core fundamentals of teaching uh, for folks that are you know want to go into a professor kind of of uh, you know, career track. So in some degrees, it's very new in higher ed. Um, in the K-12 arena, you know, teacher professional development or PD as it's referred to has been, you know, longstanding tradition um, where uh, curriculum designers, the publishers that provide the material that's used in classrooms come in and, you know, coach teachers on, on how, to, uh, how to move through the material. But th- now as we look at the digital solutions that are coming in, um, There's a lot of complexity here. There's data, there's visualizations. Um, One could easily overwhelm what's already an extremely difficult job. So I I think there's a lot of things that are going to have to to change here to really make this, the the technology aspects of, you know, the future classroom effective. One, it's incumbent on us that build this stuff um, to – not think that just because we've sold a solution into a school or a district, we can walk away and expect uh, both the administrative staff or or the teaching staff to be effective. Um, we have to wrap those uh, you know those products with a full suite of solutions to to coach um, teachers on how to use it, how how not to use it. Um, but to be with them as they as data gets thrown off, as we understand what's happening in the classroom, what kids may or may not be stuck with a given topic, make sure that the the teachers and faculty see that data and are able to recognize when to act on it and what kind of interventions they you know oh this this kid is is poking up because they're way ahead and you're going to lose them because they're bored or this this kid is behind on this particular um, uh, concept ensuring that the teachers know how to use that data and recognize it and have the tools at their disposal to, to make use of it um, so I think you know wrapping these solutions with the the coaching and support that's needed to you know if you will operationalize it is is really really important um, you know your other question about uh, micro credentials and where's that headed you know that might be something we want to we want to dive into go for it Sure, I, well, this is such an active area of of discussion. Um, you know the idea of badges and um, you know the boot camps, and we've recently seen some uh, uh, some news where some of the boot camp um, companies haven't figured out how to how to either uh, demonstrate the value or actually deliver on the value a couple of couple of folks have closed up shop in the in the last couple of weeks. Um, it's a great idea and you're moving from these large high-stakes uh, uh, long degree programs to being able to demonstrate continuous learning as we as we talked about um, and uh, demonstrate skills versus um, just claiming to have ab- absorbed them you know on our four four-year journey uh, I think is great one of our clients in fact is, is concerned about the so-called gig economy and the future of employability. Um, and this is a large uh, large public higher ed institution. They're taking the approach of we're going to credential any everything at, at a micro badge level because we're not sure what's going to be valuable, um. So we want to create visibility for everybody for you know potential employees for future employers, um, and create this really rich uh, picture of what a person's competencies are and how they've been able to demonstrate that, and so you know they're they're tackling the the future of employability, if you will, about creating a lot more transparency about what a given individual. Um, what skills they bring to the party? So that's interesting, Marcus. You know, so many moving parts,
2: right? I mean, I've got, I've got a, a high schooler and a middle schooler, and they both work or live in. They go to school. <laughs> they don't work or live in either of those places. They go to school in places where they have personal device, right? So everybody yeah. got an iPad, and, yeah. and 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 the the platforms are all different right um, there's many different platforms that they have to engage with um, and it's not it's not as simple and straightforward as it used to be read the book take the test um, and your your notion of the gig economy and what we mentioned earlier about vocations coming back into the into the into the fold how do you see the future of work and career? the model of a career as we knew it evolving and, and how do we better prepare students for that new world?
3: Oh, wow. If I have my crystal ball, right. Um, well, you know, (laughs) I think we're all very well aware and Linda, you you brought this up right at the very beginning, the idea that, you know, you go learn a body of knowledge, you come out, whether that's a, you know, memory based, (laughs) um, uh, a career or something else, the idea that you come out of whatever kind of career prep you've gone through, whether it's, you know, vocational, professional, et cetera, and you now know what you need to do to, you have the skills or the knowledge to go have a career and you don't learn anything, uh, so to speak, formally again. um, We know that's, that's just not going to happen. The pace of change is so, so rapid that we're all, um, you know, we're all gonna have to become lifelong learners to stay employable. Um, That's why I'm doing this
1: show, uh, Marcus. (laughs) That's
3: that's right. You know, it felt like a few years ago, a number of the kind of startup culture communities um, in the very startup heavy communities without naming names, um, there there was this notion of employees are, it's almost like a contract gig, you know, we know we can't retain you, you're in such high demand. Uh, salary growth is so crazy. You, you, we just kind of have this informal arrangement that, well, you'll kind of work here for 12, 18 months, and maybe we'll both get something out of, ben- of benefit out of that. And then we know you're going to go away. So don't put too much in us. We're not going to put too much into you. Let's, you know, <laughs> everybody get to work and go do stuff, right? Um, right. I, I think my own observations are that's that's beginning to change. Thankfully. Yeah. Thankfully um, is right. And companies are recognizing that the value of culture is high. The value of and we're going to come back to soft skills again, right? right. Of, of building teams that are oriented towards you know a, a mission, and they are uh, they they they've gone through that storming, forming, norming process and are effective teams. Whether it's you know building and delivering products, or uh, you know providing services or whatnot. And I think we're coming back around to companies recognizing that they need to create these learning and development experiences um, for their own bottom line to to retain people that they need to take care and retain and help their folks continue to grow. Um, You know, in our case, we have a, uh, um, you know, we, we put a lot of effort, but you know, we're a services company, um, we put a lot of effort into creating professional development opportunities for folks, whether that's through budget, whether that's through, um, you know, bringing folks in to work on particular skill sets, both hard skills and soft skills. I, I think we're going to see a, a reinvestment, in you, if you will, in in the people side of our companies, and I think that's very good.
2: Well, you, you know what's interesting about that, Marcus, is we have a, a saying around here. We say you can't high perform alone. <laughs> and the 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 old, old K twelve uh, education model was was pretty independently driven, right? It was independent study, individual grades, and it wasn't until <laughs> some of us got to grad school where where they just decided everything was a group project at that point. Um, and and we didn't have the skills to slide into group project mode from individual study mode. And and our lives at work have become even more interdependent, right? So how are are we uh, in the education space preparing kids for that, you know, that sort of next generation of collaboration and interdependency? Platforms and tools help, but, you know, I kind of see my own kids kind of struggle with the socialization behaviors, they're real good at Snapchatting and Instagramming, but it's not natural for them to collaborate sometimes, you know, on a Google Doc.
1: Yeah. Sure. And Eric uh, and and um, Marcus, hold that answer. Give you a few minutes to think about it, Marcus, because we're going to a break. When we come back, we'd love to hear what your thoughts are on that.
0: You got it. <laughs> We all know that leaders who build talent, care about their people, and create healthy organizations are the people that others want to work for and with. Raise your own bar and future-proof your organization with the Future Proof Workplace. Whether you're a CEO, manager, or just trying to survive the chaos, the Future Proof Workplace is your wake-up call. Because, let's face it, the future is now. Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett are sought-out keynote speakers, leadership development and organization experts, and they can help you start future-proofing your organization. To learn more about everything they have to offer you and your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com.
1: Welcome back. We're talking to Marcus Lewis, currently CTO of Unicon Inc., about learning systems. And we and Eric, you gave uh, Marcus this really glorious question. <laughs> Maybe you just want to sum it up, and uh, so Marcus, we'd love to hear your answer. Sure, Eric, you want to sum up the question for our listeners?
2: Sure. I was talking a little bit about the topic of collaboration and how as kids, we don't get taught how to collaborate. And as adults, we're expected to work together in an interdependent sort of environment. And those skills are, are different. And I was my question for Marcus was, how are we addressing that in the earlier part of education now through the use of technology and, and enhancements?
3: Great question. Sure, I I may even expand the scope of your question a little bit, Um, (laughs) you know, so so all of these, you know, these ideas of collaboration and team orientation, um, you you know, the things referred to as as these 21st century skills um, and coming at them from a more explicit approach on these are some of the learning goals and learning objectives of, uh, you know, as, as part of our K-12 journey, if you will, um, I'm seeing uh, some of the things happening in the classroom around, you know, these kinds of collaboration projects. I, I, I hate to kind of draw the analogy, but, you know, in the world of, of building software products, um, at the end of each unit of work, which, you know, we tend to call sprints, you um, the team sits down and does a retrospective and and has an open, candid conversation around, you know, how did we do over the last two weeks? Um, what did we do well that we should continue doing? You know, what do we what do we need to do differently? And I actually see, um, some of these K twelve group oriented projects, uh, the teacher facilitating these kinds of of conversations, um, so that the team is is doing some healthy introspection on how did you know did we work together and there's room in those conversations for you know albeit in a positive way to say um you know johnny you didn't pull your weight on this project you know with something going on oh you know i had a a, a big um you know theater thing i was involved in and i was distracted or i had some big sports event um okay how do we you know how do we get work around that going forward um The the other thing is I see, you know, related to this is not just those kinds of group projects, but developing a more holistic approach to successful learning, thinking about, uh, you know, metacognition, um, mindfulness, Mm -hmm. developing resiliency, um, so that so the kids can work. You know, learning is hard. Learning is really messy, and I, I've seen this one teacher that says, you know, stay in the struggle. Um, that 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 this is hard is good. It means you're plugged in and you're you're working through this. And we see these these characteristics of kids that we label, you know, gifted and talented or high performing or whatever. And we look at the characteristics that those kids have. It turns out those are coachable, teachable. Um, in repeatable ways that, that we can help all kids come at their learning challenges with um, with that same kind of resiliency. And it's about the effort that you put in, not that, you know, oh, he or she is smart and they just naturally get it, because nobody is, and we all have to develop this stuff. So seeing a much healthier approach for creating a, a learning mindset and ecosystem, um, and, you know, to, to tie it all back up again, Eric, um, Really building points in the curriculum and the learning to reinforce and and develop those, whether they're collaboration skills, whether they're resiliency skills, um, and having uh, even sometimes programmatic tools to support that learning, whether it's you know traditional print and uh, kind of materials that kids can you know read stories about um, you know how some somebody is successful, or even digital tools to kind of do some of the facilitation for these kinds of things.
1: Yeah, fascinating. Uh, I, I'm going to go back to something we talked about a f- shortly before. I do not think that corporate education departments, uh, learning and development departments, and schools, and certainly at the lower level and, and, and at the graduate level, the college and graduate level, are equipped and have this. The, the teachers themselves may not necessarily have that ability to. Develop resilience in others. Coach resilience in others. Most of the people that I know in those roles really are not coaches. They're not mentors. They're not facilitators. What What do you see?
3: Oh, you know, I I've got probably a biased sample size because I, I I get to see <laughs> the, the really high performing yeah <laughs> successful oh, stuff most most often. Um, I, I I actually do see uh, you know a lot of things coming out of the cognitive sciences these days that are helping us. I mean to to a degree, we really don't understand how learning happens, right? Um, so uh, you know the idea that you know teaching and learning are the same thing um we're we're kind of getting away from that. Um teaching certainly facilitates learning, uh, but learning happens in lots of different kinds of contexts.. Um, and you know, so we're 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 starting to learn how, um, if not how the brain learns things that that help learning be more effective or less effective, and we're seeing those things show up in the professional development literature. We're seeing some of our clients trying to build that stuff into their digital learning solutions. Good. Um, so that maybe you know, even if you're not expert at applying that stuff, like applying, let's say, metacognition to your learning practices. In other words thinking about your own learning and taking a step back from okay there's this really hard concept i'm trying to master um oh, you know i'm struggling here at, at the end of a unit of learning activity take a step back what's your confidence level how are you feeling about this how are you approaching learning have you have you identified a, a broader strategy to help you get your arms around this and we see that that students that apply these metacognitive aspects to their you know learning about how they learn helps increase the rate of learning uh, and as I say we're starting to see some of our clients building those capabilities those kind of metacognition questions into let's say a digital learning experience where at the end of a unit you know you actually go through some of this stuff so we're seeing that start to manifest itself in digital ways that can then augment um, you know the folks that, that don't quite have that experience. Um, in facilitating or teaching it in the classroom.
2: So Marcus, I I wanna kind of shift gears a little bit from the student focus to the the organizational focus. Um, When the work that you guys do moving, these legacy organizations into more of a digital frontier, Mm -hmm. um, we know you're an atypical (laughs) engineer because you get the soft skills and the people side of the business. Um, You have an appreciation for L and D. Um, what are the things that that the common pitfalls that these companies get stuck in when they're trying to make these transformations that you see?
3: wow, that's that's fertile ground. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it's a consultants it's a consultant's garden there for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um uh, you know, and I, I know you both uh, are are deeply involved with with clients uh, in in these kinds of uh, scenarios as well where and I think there's, there's, there's some different flavors. There are traditional companies that are trying to become entirely digital so that that transformation is, is um, uh, almost you know, pervasive, if not existential. Um, some of the traps and pitfalls I think that folks fall into is, and it goes back to you know, skill development, is uh, taking folks that have perhaps a traditional role and shoving them in, into a role that is part of the digital transformation without the necessary skills um, and support to go around it. I mean, the, the, the biggest example that I can see, that I can think of, and I've seen this happen multiple times in our clients, is um, a publisher that is transitioning to more of a digital delivery, digital solutions um, set of products, uh, where they'll take someone who's traditionally an editorial role and ta-da! Today you're you're a software product <laughs> manager. Um, hey, good luck with that. And the the process and and activities and the people and and tools that that go into building a traditional print product are, are are very different in building a uh, a digital learning environment. And right. they, they they don't understand the roles. Um, they don't understand the process by work gets. Kind of digested and understood, scoped, and then actually built, and then out into, um, out into the, uh, you know, into their customers, so to speak. So, um, you know, I think kind of, or expecting somebody to hold down two jobs at the same time. Ah, you've got your old legacy job, and you've got your your new digital transformation job, and you need to do both of them. Well, you know, that's we're setting somebody up to and the team to to fail in that arena. So those are two. I think we both. I think. I think we sorry, go ahead. Yeah, th- those are the two biggest uh, challenges I see.
0: Yeah.
2: I, I, as, you, as you told that story, Marcus, I think we both worked on that client together.
0: Uh,
3: it, at least one <laughs> together. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, it's it's really true. I mean, I painfully have experienced some of that. So so uh, Marcus, as we're coming to the end of the show here, give us the, the, the three things that you would like people to um, take away. From this conversation.
3: Oh, sure. Uh, I'll I'll drag out. I think what sounds like our favorite topic. It's that soft skills matter, um, <laughs> and, and it matters to both sides of you know the the employer-employee relationship. Whether yeah. you know it's somebody seeking a job or a career, or it's it's a company or an organization trying to build a high-performing team. Um, and it's it's that stuff we talked about uh, building relationships, um, creating team orientation rather than self orientation um, leading rather than managing and directing. You know, it's, it's, it's that whole set of 21st century skills. Um, and then, you know, the other soft, uh, soft skill, I think that's just so essential is that culture of candor where it's, it's not necessarily easier, but it's okay to have those, those hard conversations. Um, let's see two more to go, huh? Um, I guess it's it's the ability to lead through change. your your leaders have to get good at leading through change and creating the yeah. the um, why do we need to change? you know why now? what's in it for me and how can I help? It's being able to answer those questions. Um, and then I guess lastly it's understanding how those changes manifest and how people work together and, and teeing those roles up for success and investing in the skills that are that are needed. For those particular teams, whether you hire, whether you develop those skills internally or, or hire them in, um, and don't try to cram, you know, old models onto new models. Right.
1: Uh, well, awesome. thank you. This was a very—I mean—so many more things I could be asking you and <laughs> talking to you about, uh, Marcus. Actually, and sorry for ca- calling your company <laughs> unicorn. I have a, another friend that I do a lot of work with, Jay Conger, who's uh, who's uh, does has a a unicorn metaphor that he uses uh, all the no time. Oh, no worries, Leadership get that periodically. <laughs> I, I bet you do, I bet you do, because the brain looks at that, yes. and, you know, immediately goes to the <laughs> unicorn thing. And we, we are a little unique, so I'll I'll, I'll take that as <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well. Well, uh, it was great, it was great having you on, we really appreciate it, and we'll talk to you again. I mean, this is an issue that's near and dear to uh, Morag's and my heart, in uh, getting people to, you know, rethink what's really gonna be important. Particularly in the human resources and the people development area, and uh, a lot of money is spent on this. Like corporations spend fifty billion dollars a year, that's huge. And um, you know, while I'm an advocate of learning, I think it's essential for every organization maybe the tools and the way we were doing it in the past is not most effective. And and you hit on it. I mean, we really don't understand from a neuroscience perspective how people really do learn. And I've I've often said that neuroscience is the uh, last new frontier of the, the, the human person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it'll be interesting to see uh, as we peel back the brain more and more, we'll be able to see really what makes people tick and, you know, how they, how, how, We as a humankind have to adjust and change. So it's fascinating. So thanks, Marcus. And uh, Eric, it's again been a real fun um, working with you on the show. And
2: well, thanks for having me, Linda.
1: Yeah, well, you're part of our team, you know, Morag and me, and uh, you know, you. So I know you're going to be back on because we're going to be having Warren Berger uh, on design thinking and uh, questioning sometime in September, late September or October. And uh, you're going to be joining us for that show. So um, stay, listen to us. Go ahead, Eric.
2: I said I can't wait.
1: Yeah. So listen to us every Thursday, 5 o'clock. We are talking to leaders, thought leaders, on all sorts of topics that you really need to know about for the future. And if you haven't already, get a copy of our book, Future Proof Workplace. It's on our website, www.futureproofworkplace.com. Talk to you next week.
0: This has been the Future Proof Workplace with Linda Sharkey and Morag Barrett. To learn about the hosts or to get more resources on future-proofing your organization, visit futureproofworkplace.com. Thanks for listening.